Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. I am Ingrid, one of your hosts. And I am Ashanti, your other co-host. <laughs> and we are here just vibing and chatting on, a, on my end, a rainy day. And over here, it's sunny with clear skies. I can't stand you right now. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So um, we are basically coming at you one more again for another week of dialogue about the miseducation in this field. And, you know, basically carry out this mission to help people live a more patient-centered life while fighting the man that is business model. <laughs> Completely that- accurate. Okay. That's what I was doing. You know. And um, I wanted to kind of bring it back a little bit to my experience. Um, as of recent, I haven't done any updates. I have finally ended my employment where I was um, basically suspended without pay, without like any indication as to when I was going to be returning to work. So I got myself another job. I have now been recruiting, which is interesting. I think that that's something to be said about transitioning yourself out of clinical practice into something new. There are groups about this. There are people who talk about this. It is never something I ever thought I would do was leave the practice. Um, But I decided a role in recruiting for therapists would make more sense for me because I have traveled as a therapist. I have worked in absolutely every single setting that there is throughout my career. Like I can't recall a setting that I have not stepped foot in. That's an interesting career for me. Well, I think it's really valuable for those that you'll be, you know, the contact person for, because it's, you know, it's, it's not, you're not, you, your perspective is so much more in depth and, um, accurate as to what that clinician is going to be experiencing in their setting and, you know, wherever they're placed or the contract that they take. So it's, I think it's a really valuable thing, especially for a clinician or even a new clinician that's just getting their feet wet. Yeah. There's been some new grads or some newer clinicians and some of the things I've been seeing have been really interesting across all of our disciplines is this PTOT SLP fresh out. It's more like, what will I be allowed to do in practice? And this is what I want to do without actually understanding the ramification of those choices. Like there are fresh new graduates that are like, I only want acute care or I only want an LTAC. And I'm sitting here thinking about my experience in an LTAC and in acute care, a level one trauma center. And I'm like, no. (laughs) No, I can't put you there, especially if COVID, after COVID year, like it's right. how much real patient care have you given in those incredibly challenging environments? Are we not seeing right. how difficult those settings are? Are we thinking that MBSIMP during graduate school is adequate for you to be able 
to do a modified barium swallow study with possibly a radiologist down your throat going, hurry up. I don't want to do all these images mm-hmm. or even alone. If you identify something that might be an anomaly that's causing the underlying etiology of the deficit, do we really feel like the course you took in MBS IMP is adequate enough? Like, are we really feeling like you could just jump right in to doing teletherapy when you haven't worked in the pediatric population? Like, what are we really considering is possible for us as a discipline um, when we're going out there thinking about roles that we want to fill? Right. Do we even think about that? Well, I think sometimes um, some of us get tunnel vision. You, You just have your eyes on the prize. This is where I want to end up. Let's jump right in. And so you don't really, and especially like you said, you know, after this COVID year where a lot of our colleagues that are graduating now didn't really get the whole kit and caboodle of experience that they should have, you know, because of distance learning and all those issues. So, yeah, I, I don't know that they considered. I think they're just, so, some people just kind of get stuck in, this is where I want this is what I want to do. I'm going for it. And I feel like there's something to be said about that, which reflects in the therapy that gets provided when it's more clinician based. Mm -hmm. I was listening to the SLPA turned SLP in her discussions, especially towards the end. And she's talking about how she moved with patients, her clinical choices in regards to figuring out what they could do in shaping things the right way. She's a seasoned clinician who provided care and was like, I know how to navigate this situation and throw out what we would consider the gold standard of the WAB because it really is not normalized on you who's so hemiparatic on your one side with gross aphasia, apraxia, all these different dys- and dysphagia and all these comorbidities that are happening to you, there's not a standardized test made for you to help me figure out how to get communication out of you. So let me get creative and find new science and figure it out. And she ended up finding a reliable source during her session with him because she's really seasoned in it. And that to me is something that I found really telling about how we jump into really challenging environments. Do we as clinicians look to ourselves and go, I don't have the skill set yet to enter into that place and I need to build up to that? Do we question what we're doing for our patient enough to go, is this really patient-centered? Am I doing this the right way? Are we moving in a manner that is respectful of the fact that I am where I am in my career, you are where you are in your disorder, and somewhere within your cultural background and my cultural background, we'll find a way to meet in the middle so that I could get you the gains that you're looking for communication-wise. Are we doing those types of critical questions? Wow. Yeah, I mean, that is something that maybe needs to be on a a post-it note (laughs) and everyone just put it at their desk and, and make sure like, you know, at least once a week you check in with, with those points to make sure that you're doing what really is the point of our job. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the whole grand scheme of things, she and I talked about deviating from clinical intervention practice that's really structured in how you measure people. Like, for example, orientation for a cognitively impaired person. 
that is part of the goal. But at the same time, if you get to a situation where you're dealing with a 94-year-old person who's grossly cognitively impaired, um, is it really that important to talk about what day of the week it is, what month of the year, what you know, to get them oriented versus tell me about things that really have pleased you throughout your life? Reminiscent that people talk about as a you know beautiful standard for people that have had cognitive impairment. This aspect of like bring your history into the present in the room, and then we can walk our way to the to where we need to go in terms of where we are now, which is a strategy I've utilized. I've gone from somebody telling me about their entire life to getting them oriented to where they are in time right now, mm. because of a breakout of this idea that I need to do it based off of the results of the, of the, uh, you know, any of the standardized tests that might be out there for cognitive impairment, especially for a dementia patient. Right. So these are the things that I kind of think that come with that. It comes with time. It comes with experience. Yes. It comes with utilization of, evidence-based things that you understand are important to have as a foundational network of what you need to do, but also your own personal clinical practice and how good you grow in that is based Mm -hmm. on you always being flexible to meet the patient's needs. Well, also getting to know the patient and what era they grew up in and the values and the things that they hold important. Um, I remember when I was in the skilled nursing setting, they had a long-term care unit upstairs and, you know, orientation was one of those blanket goals or objectives that get written in. And, um, this, I'll call her young lady. We know she's not young if she was in a skilled nursing facility. Um, she got very upset one day because she saw a birthday cake being thrown out. And, you know, the nurses were, well, she's, you know, she's, she didn't take her meds or, you know, they were, they were concerned of, you know, she was having an event or something. And it took just a few minutes of, you know, me sitting down with her, talking to her, getting to know her a bit and asking her, well, why did that bother you? And she said, you know, it's so wasteful. When I was a kid, sugar, flour, all of that was rationed. And a birthday cake was so, so special. And here you guys are throwing out more than half. Mm. You know, like something that we take for granted, really, that that was offensive to her. That was a big deal to her. And so until you get to know the people that you're working with, the people that you're serving, you you know, you're, you're not really going to have the right answers or know the right therapeutic modality to use or the method or the, you know, the science, you really have to get to know your patient and then move forward with deciding what's appropriate. Yeah. I saw a post on Facebook of this SLP that's really struggling because she can't do point of service documentation and she has to be 90% productive and they dictate how many minutes she's allowed to give her patients. And if she goes over, it's not considered productive time. Mm -hmm. And she's getting into a lot of trouble 
because she keeps having this issue and she doesn't know what to do. So who said she can't do point of service? Because I feel like that was being shoved down our throats. She can't because the doc, uh, the equipment doesn't move with her. Got so it. Got they're, it. They're, they're, it's not able, she's not capable of bringing the documentation with her when she goes from patient to patient. Okay. So she's basically in a, a very hard place to be because it's a situation where she's being asked essentially to work off the clock, but not being asked directly. Right. I was just going to say that's, a, you know, that productivity word is a very triggering concept. Um, it's a slippery slope. On the one hand, the company says this is our productivity expectation and you don't, as the clinician, as, as a person, you don't want to get quote unquote in trouble because your productivity is too low. And on the other hand, as a clinician, as the person that holds the credentials, as the person that could get called into court if your paperwork is scrutinized on a legal you know, platform, you want to make sure that you dot your T's and you, or sorry, you dot your I's and you cross your T's and that everything is clo- as close to perfect as you can get it. This and so said, your teas. <laughs> maybe I need some more coffee, <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I remember experiencing that in, in that I wanted to make sure my paperwork was just so, because that's my name. That's my, those are my credentials, but also I was fighting against that unspoken, unspoken expectation of working off the clock to get it done. And I would see other clinicians clock out, do their paperwork, and then clock back in. No. No. It's not right. But but what do we do with that? Well, my mindset is more so like, I, A, have not experienced any SLPs being called to court, number one. It just isn't Mm -hmm. something I've ever experienced. And the defense of our license to such a degree is really interesting because people don't read our documentation. Like it just, it's, it's a very minute chance that we will have this problem. So that's very true. This is very true. This is point A. Point B, there is no reason why my documentation cannot say patient was pleasant. The objective percentage for whatever, which is the O, the objective information, 80% Mm -hmm. accurate, 70% accurate, 60% accurate, whatever the case may be. My assessment patient demonstrated progress during this clinical session and P, the plan, SLP to continue POC. If you want me to be 90% productive, this is the type of documentation you're going to get from me. Yep. And you can expect that. You can expect that. I'm not going to put any energy into this documentation. And if you want stellar documentation, then you will block out the time for me to write it. Yes. Those are your choices, business. Yes. <laughs> I am not going to pretend. I am not going to pretend to do anything fraudulent. I am not going to pretend to do anything I am not capable of. And I am not going to work off of the clock. Mm-hmm. So it is my responsibility not to go to my internet friends and 
try to find a solution because I shit you not, there was not a single person explaining what a solution is. They were just kind of co-signing or adjusting or feeling sorry for her. I was like, where are the solutions in this? Mm. She has just come with this question, like what to do. And I really, I really felt like it was just this, well, this, you know, this is what I would do. This is how I would move. I'm like, listen, these are all these emotional spaces of how you can adjust or modify or whatever. And I'm like, you just give a business the simple choice. This is what my documentation will look like if I need to be 90% productive. This is what the patient outcomes will look like when I am 90% productive because I'm not going to be able to do the care appropriately. It's too mm. stringent based on business models. It is our responsibility to educate these people as to what they're sacrificing with their expectations and present it to them fully. And you have to accept the fact that you have chosen an environment that is like that. Right. You cannot be that speech speech language pathologist you were dreaming of. That's why we're miseducated. We're taught that we possibly could be, not within the structure of working as an employee, not as much. Some of us have the power to be able to make modifications with a gentle push. Some of us need the Herculean force of the state. <laughs> it varies from you know clinician to clinician and how hard we fight. But it's one thing that I've always understood. If you're going to work in a business model, you're going to lose a, p- a piece of you in it. Because yeah. you're going to have to say, okay, I'm here for what, such and such reasons, but being a patient advocate and fighting for their care is not one of them because that would require me to say, I'm not going to concede to the business model. I'm not going to see concede to 90% productive because that's not patient centered. That's business centered. Mm-hmm. So if, if I agree to work in an environment that is business centered, it's my responsibility to understand that I need to make clear objectives for that business to know what it looks like for me to be 90% and what is sacrificed for me to be 90%. What is sacrificed? Good patient progress. Cause I won't make any mm-hmm. and good documentation. And good documentation. Right. Cause I won't have time to create it. Right. And present that as a really clear aspect of what you can do. In reality, in a re- in a realistic way, how can I make 90% productive happen? This is how. You will sacrifice documentation and the quality of my care. Mm-hmm. Keep it pushing. Keep it going. Just do that and make it clear to them. And find yourself another location while you continue to go to work that will allow you not to make those sacrifices. Right. That would be... Right. The best way to get the business model to stop being so pervasive in our discipline in the healthcare field is the more of us that sit back and go, okay, well then look me in the face and tell me you're a patient-centered environment as you explain to me that you're okay with my documentation sucking and my patient care being shitty. Mm-hmm. And to take that a step further, advocating for yourself in the sense of if the place that you are working in isn't going to budge and you feel some type of way about the care that you're providing and the documentation documentation that you are putting out, find another job. I mean, it, it sounds really harsh 
and it sounds like, oh, we'll just up and quit. No, no, no. I'm not saying quit. The best time to find a new job is while you still have one. Listen, there is a beautiful thing called the internet (laughs) and you can go on and you could submit resumes and you can schedule interviews and, and all that stuff. All you have to do is be flexible with yourself and make a plan. You know, maybe you take a PTO day to go to an in-person interview. Most interviews now are are virtual, but if there's an in-person interview, get it done. If it bothers you, if it's eating away at your soul as, as the SLP that you want to be, move out of that space. Do something. No one is stuck. No one is stuck where they are. I get it. There, there are circumstances where you do feel stuck because, you know, maybe your personal life, you, you have children, you got to make sure your schedule is such like this and, you know, whatever's going on in your, in your personal life, the best time to, to, to find a new job is while you still have one, you know, Ingrid. I'm hearing you. <laughs> I'm like, did, did it cut out? <laughs> I am hearing you. I'm like, what do I say to this? The girl was just going like, (laughs) well, I just feel like there are a lot of times and I personally don't spend a lot of time on the internet, you know, um, in, in looking at things or reading up on, on things that people post. Um, that's just not my journey right now, but I do get into conversations with people where they're like, no, well, I feel stuck. This sucks. And, and, and if it's a, if you're in a, sucky situation and you feel stuck, figure out a way to get unstuck. You know, a wise woman once told me to (laughs) take that hit to the chin and keep it rolling. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now she, now she going in real. Now she's going in real. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, if you, if you apply that to your career, to your job, if you feel stuck, if it's eating away at your soul, if you don't like where you are, you, you have the power to move out of it. You just got to give, you got to be creative or you've just got to take one foot, you know, take the first step, one foot in front of the other and look for something. I think ultimately it's a situation of like, I'm getting in trouble for not doing the business model as best as I can. And I Mm -hmm. don't know what to do about it because it's not what I've been taught how to manage. And Mm -hmm. you're right. You're 1000% right. You were never taught how to manage in these circumstances. So let's get creative and let's start thinking about ways you can find solutions Mm -hmm. instead of this idea that we're just going to sit here and kind of receive all of this as the not as the normality. We challenge companies to become more humane in their practices. And if they don't become humane, we find other options. I left the entire damn career behind because I was like, <laughs> y'all aren't trying to be humane. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have any compassion for a clinician who it was defending her patients essentially against situations and circumstances that were just purely dumb. I think those types of experiences aren't centered on patients. No, that's, that's business. You know, that's, it's protocol. Protocol, yeah. That's red tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people listen to those things really and truly as a definition of protecting patient care. They put it under that guise, but I'm like, every effort that I made was about patient-centered care. Yeah. And if that isn't admissible, 
I got to go. I can't hang out in an environment that doesn't defend that really fully. And ultimately, I'm not going to win in any type of legislation process because I don't walk around with just evidence sitting in my pocket. Like, who does that? I go to work to do my job. Right. I don't go to work to be in a legislative process. I don't I don't create podcasts for that. I don't create my documentation for that. I do that shit just simply because I want to have excellent documentation that that justifies my services that says, yeah, I did my job. That's why I write good notes. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with defending myself against the law. The law is manipulative and destructive, and it's reflective in, in the entire society that it's very bad to black people and women which is why mm-hmm. you cannot get a rape case to stick to save your life. The law that was built by white men and have mm-hmm. only been adjusted and tried to be shifted by everyone else that gets allowed to participate in the legislation process, which is so funny to me, the mm-hmm. idea that they are allowed to participate in these things and make modifications as they see fit, that kind of stuff, is what puts me in a position where I'm like, I don't lean in on those things with a level of like, this is the right versus wrong thing to do. I can't lean in, not until it's more appropriately balanced. Yeah, it seems like it's it's an invitation only world. You know, if you're not invited to lean in, then no one's going to listen to you when you do start. Correct. So when it comes to circumstances like the business model being king and reigning king in society, even in something as, as, you know, everyone's so thoughtfully caring about health in the United States of America, why is it more reimbursed to have sickness than to have health? Is no one looking at that like, that's hypocritical. Yeah. I will reimburse you for trauma more than I will reimburse you for health. I'm not going to give you money to help keep people healthy. I'm going to give you people to fix sick people or give you money to fix Mm -hmm. sick people. That's why they were throwing so much money at COVID. I'm going to give you all kinds of money to take care of sick people. And people made billions of dollars during the time of COVID, including these systems, school systems, Hospital systems, these are all systems that operate in a business fashion that benefit. And so, yeah, yeah, there are school systems that it's a hard time for them to restrict certain things. They have to go with the fact that they want their funding. So, yeah, you're not going to have masks in your schools. Business reigns. Health does not. Mm-hmm. So if that's the truth, you got to buck up, Buttercup, and you got to find solutions and figure out what you're going to do. You have to. No one has time to sit around and just continue complaining about something. No. Figure it out. And this this SLP that I had interviewed for the SLPA turned SLP, talking to her and, her, you know, listening to her, she did one of those is it MLM companies? Yes. Is that what they're called? Multi-level marketing? Mm-hmm. She also did that. She moved into that. I actually met her and thought to myself, she's doing what she needs to do to find her joy. That's it. And that's to move, in, that's to move for her in a business manner. 
I don't move well in business, although I'm, you know, working on that. I am definitely not an expert at business. I would rather pay someone to be a business person for me. However, if I needed to do business, I would do that shit exceptionally well. (laughs) (laughs) Because I would have to. Right, right. I would have to, right? So if you want to be an exceptional SLP and you want to do it to the to the letter of being patient-centered, unfortunately, you're going to hit some roadblocks that are going to cause you some bruises. Yes. You're going to hit some really tough spots. You're going to have challenging things come to pass because being truly patient-centered is a fight. It is not something that you can really, really do easily in, in an employment fashion. Unless you're in really beautiful locations like Hospital locations that are for study, research-based, like school-based. There are some, you know, there's veteran hospitals that are really fantastic. Um, There are certain school districts that are just lovely to their SLPs. Like, those things occur. But I mean more so in the sense of what the general populace of SLPs are experiencing as they go out there to be employees. Mm -hmm. Which is why we're fighting tooth and nail to support each other by saying, hey, like yourself, love yourself, take the time off that you need to decompress from all the stress because this is this shit is hard. And keeping a smiling face through it is tough. So I got to motivate you to get there. Yeah. This whole, you know, self-care movement, you know, everyone's like, oh, do this, do that, do the other. I mean, where do they think that came from? That did not come from an easygoing life. That came from the fact that we are being pervasively pressed upon in the business model in the healthcare field. Yes. It is why it has entered into this arena. It's because it has been slowly being pressed up against our necks. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us are going, fuck that. Mm-mm. No, I'm getting up. I'm getting off of this ground. I'm, I'm not dealing with the suppression of the business model any longer. I'm going to find my solution. About time. <laughs> Myself included. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want anyone to think that I'm just talking out, you know, out of my neck. I'm talking to myself as well. So to get my solution going, pop off. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's our responsibility. We are there to defend ourselves. We are there to advocate for ourselves, to push for our own sanity. So if you find that you continuously are getting written up because you're not meeting productivity expectations or spoken to or texted or all of this stuff, you gently hold up the phone to your people and go, this is unprofessional. You know I'm out there doing my job. Mm -hmm. If you don't want me to be a patient-centered clinician, tell me today and I will quit. Right. Because I cannot do what you're asking. I cannot do my job properly providing care and meet your expectations. And if that's fine, if you are not, you know, interested in having that, a patient-centered clinician, fine. I quit because God knows. I, Ingrid Disorms at AMN Travelers will find you a job. I will find you a job. I will come and swoop you up and place you in something that will make sense for you. Ingrid has got you. I got you. Look at that plug. plug, You know, (laughs) I'm totally kidding. In 
like no, well not totally kidding half, I, half, I will, half kidding half kidding yeah half kidding you know i'm here for humor as well as the reality of circumstances that slps will always be wanted right right make sure you have the skills that you need to be in the environment that you think makes sense for you you need those skills and you it's not just graduating that gives them to you like you really need to have clinical practice mm-hmm make it something that makes sense. And strong mentorship during a CF is very important. So if you are going to go into more challenging environments, um, which I think all of them are equally as challenging, just in different ways, they require a, st- a strong mentorship because you have to understand bachelor's degree SLPs are out there doing the work as well in terms of treatment. And a mm-hmm. lot of it is actually broadening when I start looking at some of the presentations that they're doing for the scope of practice for SLPAs. I'm like, it's getting even wider. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're almost dismissing that master's degree in a way that only is a slither. It just, it only makes sense for interpretive. And, and I think one, one thing that I want to draw attention to is that, you know, that the fact that it's kind of closing in master's uh, bachelor's degree level versus master's it's, it's all business driven. You know, it's all about if they have a bachelor's, this is, you know, the, the salary that we're going to offer. If they have a master's, this is the salary. So I I think that's something that we really need to be very careful about. Mm -hmm. And because they don't know the distinction really, when it comes to school systems, Mm -hmm. Um, or even sometimes in private clinics that hire SLPAs, there's not really a big, huge distinction between the two because they look very much the same. And it could be a scenario where it is the same, depending on the SLP. The CCC SLP could actually practice like an SLPA, just as like an SLPA could practice like an SLP, like have that mind, that wherewithal, that ingenuity, that growth, that clinical practice that, you know, there, there's a very, there, it's just personality based. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen really strong SLPAs that I'm like, dang, you know, that's amazing. But the, as the, the craft of SLPA grows, it just makes what the SLP does even more hard to tell. And so I suggest the lane in which you can stand really firm in indicating why an SLP and their clinical expertise is the re is the value here for why I can't concede to the business model fully without sacrificing those things. Right. You're just hiring somebody to come in and just be a worker bee, like a tech. And you're not actually hiring a master's degree SLP clinical evaluator that should be able to determine her own plan of cares that should be able to determine how many minutes a patient gets because it's supposed to be patient-centered and patient-guided and not reimbursement-guided. Right. You're not hiring me. Like I'm now just a tech, just putting in and plugging in the numbers that you want. And because that's what you hired, it limits me from being able to do the job appropriately. So you can defend that by walking into the room and clearly indicating that's what you sacrificed when you're asking me for 90% productivity. Right. I think- and let them decide. And if, 
If it doesn't work, get the fuck out. Peace out. <laughs> Throw your fucking deuces and get the fuck out. Like, just bye. I want. I wanted to share a funny story. There was one time, you know, I would play the game of today I'm going to be 87, tomorrow I'm going to be 89, on Wednesday I'm going to be 90, Thursday back to 86. You know, I <laughs> I would play that percentage game, and. I got called into the the uh, manager's office, and she said, "You know, you're you're consistently just under ninety. What's going on?" And I just kind of gave her a look, like, "You're really gonna you're really talking at me about point zero one percent, really?" Mm. And so I I sat there and I did the math, and I said, I, I showed her the calculator. I said, "This is how many minutes I have to write my report." You know. To, to do my documentation, to do this, to do that, to do chart reviews. Every, th- this is how many minutes I have to do everything that's expected of me that is not directly billable in front of a patient. You really want all of that to get done in a quality manner? Shame, 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 shame. <laughs> she had nothing to say. She had nothing to say. And I said, okay, I'll try harder. And I just walked out. <laughs> she didn't call me into the office again she you know literally I said what do you want me to do you you want me to set a timer for this many minutes and and get it done you go you go for it you do a timer show me how you can do it too I have been grossly disrespectful to the productivity expectations in one of the (laughs) in one of the in one of the facilities I worked in I was like good luck getting me to 70 (laughs) <laughs> good luck because <laughs> the documentation the medical history <clears throat> well I mean education like all of that stuff during that that particular experience mm-hmm. I was like I'm gonna do this care properly and you're so desperate that you need me yes and I was what they called the best clinician they have they tried to renew my contract and I was like I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna stay I'm out <laughs> they tried to renew with somebody who was that fucking slow because I made games <laughs> those got better like got really better like where you're like damn yeah they got better. Yeah. And so that type of that type of thing that I feel very strongly about. Like, good luck getting me to 70, but watch your patient outcomes. Right. Going from peg tube to eating a regular diet upon discharge, six weeks. That was that's my type of clinical care because I called the doctor. I called the family. I made them bring in food. I utilize I used every fucking tool in my toolbox. And I used up a lot of minutes. Now, this is, of course, during reg levels and not during PDPM. So that's a different animal. But that mm-hmm. was my thing. That was my thing. Yeah. I was going to say that the chart review in and of itself, some of these patients mm-hmm. come in with charts that are like years and years long. Granted. Yeah. You don't have to go back 10 years to really understand what's going on in real time. But if you see something that has been a reoccurring thing, you kind of want to read up on it, you know, and that, that part of it, they're like, well, you're taking too long at the nurse's station. Um, I'm checking, I'm getting to know the patient. I'm reading up on them. Like you just want me to go in blind. That's how people die. Mm-hmm. 
that's how people get sicker, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, the, the productivity thing, I would kind of laugh at it. And that's one of the reasons I've just not been back to that setting. Well, you ain't missing nothing, girl. It ain't <laughs> it's not a party, really? No, nah, it's not getting any better. <sighs> anyway, guys, we thank you for staying with us, for continuing to listen week to week. Um, really encourage you to share if you thought any of this stuff was interesting. I know I did, honey. It was very interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously there was more revealed in this episode. So we'll see what happens in time and in space. And um, hopefully we're able to continue this journey. That's right. Let's let's keep it moving. If you want to get in contact with us, of course, you could always email us at the miseducatedslp at gmail.com. You could DM us at Instagram, which is the miseducatedslp, or you can look for our page on Facebook the Miseducated SLP podcast, where we do very little activity, but we will start just because we <laughs> we're, 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 we are aware and we're working on it. <laughs> yes. We will get our social media up. We just aren't social media smart. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much for returning and can't wait for us to reconvene. You guys have a great day, okay? Bye. See you later.